Drafting Archetypes is sponsored by Grey Viking Games. Grey Viking Games is the best place to get MTGA arena codes. From booster packs to awesome cosmetics, check them out at greyvikinggames.com and use our code DRAFT for 10% off. Hi everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes. This week, we are going to be talking about drafting red-black in Kaldheim. Before we get to that, I would like to take a quick moment to thank my patrons over at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes. I'd like to express gratitude to my new patron, Steven, as well as all of my previous patrons. If you're interested in supporting the podcast and checking out the benefits offered, like voting on what the next episode will be, though I have to admit that, that won't be relevant for next week as there's only one archetype remaining that I haven't discussed at all in this format yet, but also access to my draft logs and my spreadsheets where I prepare the podcasts and stuff. Check that out. As for the main topic for this week, red-black. So before getting into my usual, like, here's the stuff that puts you into red-black and everything, I want to provide a lot of, like, theoretical context for red-black uh, in this set. First of all, we're late enough in the format that we have a lot of data and we have a lot of experience, and we have to acknowledge that black is bad. <laughs> black in this set is really bad. Like, if you look at the stats over on 17lands.com, my one of my favorite resources for presumably all of limited these days, but certainly for uh, understanding Kaldheim, you'll see that even like the best black rares have a like win rate when like a the rate at which your deck wins when this card is in your deck is for the best rares about as good as just like a deck a deck generically, and there are about two commons or something that have a like average win rate and everything else is like a lot worse than that it's it's uh it's hard out there for a black deck the good news is everyone knows this so the answer in general to how do you end up in any sort of black deck is you presumably started with the other color and then somewhere like in the middle of pack one you realized that no one at the table is taking any black cards and you could have all of it, and you figured, you know, that that would be fine. I would like some removal spells to round up my deck or whatever. And you moved into, like, black and your color, and now you're hoping to get paid off in strong rares and uncommons and premium commons that are open in the rest of the packs. Alternatively, it's not actively horrible to, like, start the draft with, like, a good black bomb and see if it's open and stuff. But I also wouldn't fault anyone for just like if you open any black rare any at all just saying yeah i don't think i want to like mess with black i'm just going to pass this i think that's a that's a totally fine way to draft but if you get past like a second third fourth pick black bomb you should probably take the signal draft the card and i i think that the you know if you're getting all the good cards or all the best cards that are available anyway you should be able to make a deck work so that's that's some context for like acknowledging what's going on when we're talking about playing black and call time. And like, I try to have like, you know, this balanced series that's talking about all the color combinations you can draft and how to make them work. And I definitely stand by, stand by that project. And I think it's important to know, 
But I also don't want to pretend that, like, you know, all the colors are the same or anything, because that's, that's not how limited works. Beyond that, there's a lot of special context for uh, red-black in particular, uh, strategically in the game, outside of just, like, how strong is this archetype or how strong are these colors. And that was kind of really highlighted for me earlier this week when I listened to a discussion on Mark Rosewater's Driving to Work podcast with Eric Lauer, who Eric Lauer has worked at Wizards as like a senior or whatever, uh, top, top tier designer. Um, he's responsible for like a lot of, you know, final sign offs on basically every magic set. Really, really smart guy, um, understands magic super well. And they were discussing the fact that in original Innistrad, black red vamp was supposed to be about vampires and vampires were supposed to be very aggressive. And Eric was talking about how people think that if you combine black and red, you naturally end up with aggressive decks because like, I don't know, that's just what people think. But in reality, in across limited formats in general, the best black cards and the best red cards are both removal spells. And when you load a deck with a bunch of removal spells, it doesn't actually result in aggressive decks, at least not in the way that we usually think about it. And this relates back to the article that I wrote this week on Star City that went up today about big games versus small games, and it touched on this idea that tempo and attrition are opposite ends of the spectrum. And black and red, their mechanics fundamentally, all of their, they don't have any cards or they have very few cards that vote for a big game. There's not a lot of card draw. There's not a lot of like putting extra objects into play. It's all destructive. It's like kill your thing, make you discard cards, make the game smaller in some capacity, trade off. And so... When you're voting for a smaller game, you're not necessarily voting for a game that's going to be over right away. You're voting for a game where we're going to run out of cards and we're going to run out of resources. We're going to have time to play all of our stuff because it's all just dying rather than killing the opponent. And so the game is about tempo, not attrition, in the, on, from the framework where these are opposite ends of a spectrum. And... That is just a whole different game plan than like aggro decks that are really about tempo fundamentally. And so that's really, it's really significant to understand the difference between like tempo, aggro, and attrition. And there are parts, there are aspects here that work together where like they look similar. Like, a lot of the best black and red draws that I've lost to in this format occur when my opponent plays a creature or two and then uses a removal spell on all the creatures I play. And every turn I play a creature, they kill my creature, they hit me for some damage. And the game actually does end before I can use all the cards in my hand because of this damage that I'm taking. And like in those spots, yes, they're taking advantage of tempo and yes, they're an aggro deck. But... When you put a bunch of removal spells in your deck, you're not always going to get that draw. Your opponent's not always going to have more expensive creatures than you, so they're not always going to be behind. Your opponent isn't always not going to have removal of their own. And you have to accept that a large portion of the time, your cards are going to trade. And when your cards trade, the last 
thing standing, or the biggest thing left over wins. What this really informs that I think that I've been missing in the way that I draft Black Red is I have kind of an obsession with synergy and with trying to make my cards work together and make something that's greater than the sum of their parts. And so I see things like, okay, Tormentor's Helm is a pretty good red common. That plays really well with Death Nail Berserker. Obviously, I'm supposed to be putting Tormentor's Helm on Death Nail Berserker. And like now I'm playing like Tormentor's Helm and Death Nail Berserker, and I'm doing this Berserker thing, so I should probably be playing the 1-2 th that drains my opponent and like leaning into this equipment and stuff. And then I end up in this spot where I like talk myself into the idea that like, no, I want like a low curve, low aggressive curve, and I don't have room to prioritize removal, and like tricks might be good here and stuff. And this is all completely the wrong way to approach and think about red black. You can't afford to play, like basically, cards must be this impactful to ride. If your cards are this impactful, then I moved my hand down for those of you who are listening to this podcast uh, in a audio kind of fashion. If your cards are a little bit below the threshold, it's too likely that when they're the last thing left, they don't matter, and your opponent has time to just draw a bigger thing and trump them. And so I've had all these red-black decks where I have like a couple of Death Knell Berserkers and a Tormentor's Helm, and I'm really doing it, and then my opponent plays like a Spirit of the Alder Guard, or just like literally any creature with four toughness, or heaven forbid, a Ravenous Lindworm. And I'm just like, well, I'm dead. My cards don't do anything. And what I've realized after a lot of failed attempts to make Death Knell Berserker work is the creatures in red and black, they might not objectively suck. Like, they do things, but they are bad at engaging in combat, which is appropriate. They don't have combat-focused keywords. They don't have, like, haste. They don't have flying. You might get a little... Or, sorry, I, I didn't mean haste. They have haste. They don't have first strike. They don't have flying. You might get a little bit of menace. Most importantly, they don't have the keyword toughness. You have a bunch of three twos and three ones, and your creatures, like, tr die if they fight anything. You have a lot of three mana creatures that are pretty sweet, but they trade down with your opponent's two mana creatures. And... I don't think that the solution is to not play the three mana creatures, which is mostly what I've been doing. I've been playing one or two mana creatures instead. I think the solution is you play the three mana creatures because you need your cards to be that level of impactful. And then you kill your opponent's blockers so that you can actually connect. And in this way, Frostbite actually plays well, because Frostbite lets you like connect and profit off your Comus Faithfuls, which is the 3-1 lifelink creature, and your Tuscary Firewalkers, which is the 3-2 boast that uh, kind of draws a card. And if you can start getting these profitable attacks in with three power creatures, where you're killing your opponent's blocker to like set up these attacks, where it looked like you were going to have to trade down, and so they like left their... like They have a 2-drop, you have a 3-drop, they lose their 2-drop back to block so that you're going to have to make this unfavorable trade, and then you use a removal spell, but it's a cheap removal spell, on... They're like 2-2, and then you get to hit them profitably. And now we're a little later in the game, and they play something big, and then you have Feed the Serpent or Demon Bolt, and then you kill that, and you get to hit them again. And now you're starting to like get some traction, maybe snowball some cards off your Firewalker. Now you're like kind of putting something together, and you have a deck 
that like as long as you're prioritizing removal and not trying to like pair low impact cards together to turn it into something can can at least like hang with other decks and yeah so like for me i think tormentor's helm is like the biggest trap because we're used to like tormentor's helm plays so well in red white aggro that it feels like okay i should be able to do this in red black aggro also and there's like this uh you know death knell berserker that looks like it wants this tormentor's helm but at the end of the day the reason tormentor's helm is good is because it lets you make your creatures with keywords bigger and you just don't have enough keywords in red and black to like properly get value out of your helm and like your helm punishes your opponent when uh they block but you don't really want to be letting them block because your creatures are so bad when they're getting blocked so my experience has been that like helm is a trap and not the way that you want to go in red black and you want to prioritize just removal and creatures and I, I i think that that plays better i think like the creatures that you want to play are good enough to kind of stand on their own. They don't need equipment to be impactful. And you want to trade off to get them through. And you want your removal to answer your opponent's larger creatures and push your stuff through. And I think most often you want to have like a little bit higher of a curve than at least I personally have been trying to do. You want to think of this more as like, a mid-range jack rather than like a red-white style like really low curve aggro deck. There are some cards that push in other directions just like all the other archetypes there are multiple ways to build it but I think you really don't want to I mean so the biggest point here is when you're playing a small game synergy matters less because you don't get to combine multiple cards to something that's greater than the sum of their parts when there aren't multiple cards around and so you just have to accept that your card evaluation and your card ranking should be relatively static. You can still have a game plan and stuff, but for the most part, you want to fill your deck with good cards and you don't want to play bad cards that are trying to work together. There are certainly like packages of synergy and like game plans that you can have within red black, but you, you basically want to be really, really careful about sacrificing card quality and about playing cards like, just to like try to assemble multiple cards together. There are some really powerful synergies that are worth it that are, you don't have to go very far out of your way for, like Blood Sky Massacre, the uh, saga that rewards Berserkers, says, hey, play a bunch of Berserkers, maybe play a few more cheap Berserkers. And it's like, okay, I can put some two-mana Berserkers in my deck because they're going to be really good if I draw the Blood Sky Massacre and they're not that bad otherwise. But you don't want to go crazy with it. You don't want to be like, oh, I have the Blood Sky Massacre, now I should play like a lot of one twos like i should just have like the blood sky massacre and a whole bunch of cheap stuff and try to like draw five cards off the blood sky massacre every game though if you have like you know blood sky massacre and skim for avenger and like the whole berserker deck that's i'm not saying that's not a viable way to do it but i'm saying in general i think you want your red black deck to prioritize individual card quality i think that's kind of the like foundation that i feel like i've learned from losing a lot with decks that kind of like violated some of these principles that I've worked out and tried to lean too much into low curve and too much into synergy. So I want to talk a little bit more about the like death knell berserker thing because 
So my thinking with Death Knell Berserker is, okay, this is a creature that generates value when it dies. So clearly, I want it to die. So that means that it's going to end up in my graveyard, and that means that it's going to play well with Rise the Draugr. And I can just, like, trade off my Death Knell Berserkers and generate value with them. I'll, like, use uh, Tormentor's Helm or Goldvein Pick to, like, make them big and make them trade off. And then I'll get another zombie, and then I'll bring them back, and that'll be cool. Horrible reasoning horrible. The reason this reasoning is bad is that I missed the step where I actually get the Death Knell Berserker in the graveyard. I want it to die. My opponent does not want it to die. The, they're perfectly capable of ignoring my 3-3 for a little while, not trading off with it, and not turning on my Raise the Draugr, and not giving me the zombie token. It turns out it doesn't have any keywords. It doesn't do very much. They can just take three damage maybe take it a couple of time, and then they just play a bigger creature, and now it's like, well, I don't really want to just, like, suicide my creature into your thing to get a zombie and a damage. Uh, so, like, your opponent's not really going to cooperate. And if you're going to play Rise the Draugr in, like, a proactive deck, you want creatures that your opponent wants to kill. Specifically, Anything in red and black that costs three mana. Because they all have more power than toughness. All the ones that I'm thinking that are actually playable. I don't know if I'm forgetting something. But I'm talking about Coma's Faithful, Breakneck Berserker, and Tuscary Firewalker. Any of those cards. Any of those cards your opponent is going to jump at the opportunity to trade with them. Because your opponent can easily trade a two mana creature for your three mana creature. And they don't want to like let you keep gaining life with your Coma's Faithful. They don't want to let you keep boasting with your Firewalker. Your Breakneck Berserkers, presumably putting them a little behind on life, and so they don't want to trade damage. So they're going to be more than happy to trade with any of these three drops. So that's why I think that you... I mean, especially if you're going to try to put Raise the Draugr in your deck. You really want to prioritize playing, like, specifically these three drops, but also just in general, creatures that are going to trade, creatures that your opponent wants to have die, not creatures that your opponent is like, well, can't interact with that, I'm just going to ignore it. Like, Fearless Pup is not a creature that dies a lot. Uh, especially on offense. Like, it'll die if you trump block it, but it's not like your opponent is going to kill it very much. They're just going to take some damage. Uh, same thing with Death Knell Berserker. Obviously, these are creatures. They might end up in the graveyard at some point, but they're not going to let you quickly... They're not going to let you get value out of Raise the Dragger in the time frame that you're looking for. They're going to let you maybe draw a card after your opponent has already played a bunch of 5-5s five and, you know, your little stuff that you're getting back just doesn't matter anymore. So that's, that's more of a note on... Rise the Draugr is just like, if you're trying to have your creatures die, make sure that your opponent's going to cooperate with your plan. The next thing I want to talk about is something that I talked about before, I believe when I was talking about blue-black, which is the extent to which and way in which uh, Reanimator exists in this format. Uh, there are a lot of cards that point to it, especially in red and black. You have Seize the Spoils and Carter's Vicious Return to put creatures from your hand into the graveyard. You have Coma's Faithful to mill stuff. You have Cinderheart Giant at common is a really high impact card to return to the battlefield. And then you have like stuff that returns things directly from the graveyard to the battlefield in Carter's Vicious Return and the Elf Zombify that makes elves if you return an elf. And potentially at Mythic, Haunting Voyage. And so... There, there is something going on here. I, d I did some due diligence. I tried, I tried drafting 
the all-in reanimator deck, where I just played a whole bunch of, like, things to let me discard, Immerstrom Raider, and use the spoils, and Carter's Vicious Return, and I had, like, three copies of that elf thing, and a Carter's Vicious Return, and a bunch of, like, big stuff that was good to reanimate. And attack was really bad. And the reason is... And I, I mean, I knew that I had to worry about getting run over, so I knew that I wanted the rest of my deck to be cheap removal. But I was just working too hard to get a creature onto the battlefield, and the, the opponent's decks were too aggressive, and the things that I was doing were basically just, like, definitionally defined as stumbling, or at least, like, fumbling around. Dirtling, as one might say. My opponents killed me. And even if I, like got off my, you know, thing, put a Cinderheart Giant into play. One point, like, I did it, and then my opponent just cast Run Ashore, and then I lost. And so what I concluded was that you... The format's too fast to, like, go all in. I'm going to, like, play Dedicated Reanimator. But I do think that you can, like, play some Carter's Vicious Returns in... Like a deck with like a normal, realistic curve of creatures and like a little bit at the top. And you can work in some of these synergies, but like make sure that you're respecting the general rules of engagement and format. Make sure that you're playing to the battlefield, you're not getting run over, you're pressuring your opponent. And then you just have like a, li a little bit of reanimation at the end to like put a game away. But it's not, it's not the only thing, it can't be the only thing you do in a game. On the subject of Reanimator, I believe that the best thing you can aspire to do is uh, Haunting Voyage back a Doomscar Titan, which brings back all of your Berserkers and gives all of them haste and gives all of them an extra power and probably kills your opponent. And the way that you would want that deck to look is just like a bunch of scary Firewalkers and... Uh, Breakneck Berserkers that are Berserkers that trade off, and Comus Faithfuls to, like, mill extra Berserkers, and then, like, at some point you, you know, sometimes assemble this thing and just, like, win out of nowhere, but mostly you just have, like, a Berserker deck, and that's cool, too. And the more you, like, prioritize creatures there, the more your Doomscar Titan is just going to be a fine card. In this spot, you do still want some removal. You still want to prioritize Demon Bolt, Feed the Serpent, and probably even Frostbolt. But we are talking about, you know, assembling a mythic plus a particular uncommon. So it's not something you can, like, try to do regularly. But it it is, I think, a, a nice, like, bucket list dream for the format. A couple other packages that I think are worth, like, paying attention to and drafting around and, like, keeping in mind and building toward that are in red-black. Kind of most obviously is Shackles of Treachery plus Village Rights. Shackles of Treachery is the Threaten. Village Rights lets you sacrifice the creature that you take. Problem with this is there are remarkably few other sack outlets. Like, there's Immerstrom Predator, and I guess technically Turgid Shadow, which I don't recommend putting in your deck. That card has horrible stats and has not been good in my experience, and is very hard to like make work with Shackles of Treachery. Though, I mean, it's only 7 mana, you can do it. But like there, there are very there. There aren't the real problem is that there are none of those creatures that just like hang out and let you sacrifice another creature. They just didn't bother putting any of those in the set. 
So you need to like line up your shackles of treachery exactly with your village rights, which is pretty hard to do. That said, I have noticed that shackles of treachery and village rights tend to hang out next to each other in booster packs. I believe that they are part of a common run. And I think that it's like pretty common that you will see a shackles of treachery and a village rights, and if you take the village rights, you can expect to table the shackles of treachery. I think that like that fact that you see them together and know that you can get both of them basically does make it somewhat easier to try to like draft this combo. And I think that it's like it is really str- like you know historically like steal your guy and sacrifice it to draw two cards has been a pretty good thing to do. In particular, I think that this is actually a really good way to use Blood Sky Berserker. Because it's oh, um, Blood Sky Berserker is the two mana one one that uh, gets plus like two plus one plus one counters and menace when you cast your second spell, and these are two spells that really naturally want to be cast in the same turn. And also, Shackles of Treachery is good in the kind of aggressive deck that Blood Sky Berserker wants to be in, and Village Rites is good with Blood Sky Berserker because it makes it a lot easier to cast two spells in general, whether it's paired with Shackles of Treachery or not. It's a cheap spell itself. And it draws extra cards. And so I think that, like, for me, Blood Sky Berserker is a strong card in certain kinds of red-black decks. And it's, like, reasonable to kind of, like, start with it fairly early on and to draft differently because you have it. And I think that one of the things you want to be looking to do in your Blood Sky Berserker decks is to try to include this Shackles of Treachery Village Rights thing. You don't have to. There are other ways to draft Blood Sky Berserker. You don't have to have Blood Sky Berserker in your Shackles of Treachery Village Rights deck. But I think that's a good sign that this is something you should think about and look for. Also, full disclosure, I straight up don't know what the right mix of Shackles of Treachery and Village Rights is to pull it off. I know that I've seen decks that are successful. I've heard good things about combining them. I've had it work myself. But I don't know, like, oh, the optimal number is, like, this many shackles and this many village rights. Sorry, figure it out yourself. The other, like, kind of, like, group of synergy that uh, is worth paying attention to in Black Red is the pairing of card A, card B, where card A can be either Hoggy Mob or Fearless Pop, and card B can be either Jarl of Forsaken or Rune of Mortality. Uh, both of these give you a way to like do a damage to a thing and have that damage itself either kill the thing or to finish the thing off uh, right afterward. It's not hard to get Hoggy Mobs and Fearless Pups and Jarls. Rune of Mortality is slightly harder to get. It's an uncommon where all the others are common. But if you have, I mean, when there's one uncommon that wants you to look for some commons, it's pretty easy to find the commons to pair it with when you get the uncommon. That That's just... Something to keep in mind, something that's worth doing, something that, like, I don't think asks you to go very far out of your way, and gets you something that's, like, a little bit better than some of its parts. That, that's kind of the other, like, you know, I talked about how you don't really want to go out of your way for synergy, but this is, like, these are synergies that you can find that don't ask you to go that far out of your way. Though, I, I did have the experience that when I, when I put a lot of these synergies in together in a deck, I was doing, like, doing the, Hagi Mob Yarl thing, I found that while it's really like a really good way to deal with big creatures, it was um, very punishing to have built my deck in this way when I played against aggressive decks. Because I was like, I had these like Yarls 
that we're trying to like finish things off, but all of my opponent's stuff just died if it was damaged. Um, and so like the the back half of the combo that makes it kill big creatures was useless because that had already happened. Their stuff was already dead, and having these kind of clunky cards in my deck hurt. So I'd say I probably just ran bad there. There's still good stuff going on, but also it's the kind of thing that would be better if this were best at best of three, and I could prioritize like have putting more Jarls in my deck against big creatures and taking them out against small creatures. That's all the big strategic stuff that I have to say about red-black. I can go down some list of cards, but like I really, because red-black is so not about synergies, I think for the most part, the, it's not like the good uncommons say, hey, draft this kind of red-black deck. They mostly, like, the good uncommons are good cards, and you should draft a realistic curve of reasonably high-impact things and removal. And then the stuff that says, hey, draft this deck, is actually, like, weaker cards, um, like Carter's Vicious Return. And I think it's better to just think about it in terms of, like, here are some packages that I want to keep an eye out for, but mostly if I'm drafting red and black, I'm just going to take the good cards. And, like, there's nothing tricky about the good cards. You can look at 17 lands and just, like, sort by win rate, sort by whatever number you want. The numbers correlate a lot. And the ones at the top of the list are the good cards. The ones at the bottom of the list are the bad cards. Put the good cards together. Um, but be mindful of all this stuff. And be mindful of making sure that you don't have too many low-impact cards and stuff. That's my lecture here. I'm going to open it up to questions from chat. First question is, how does equipment fall into good cards versus bad cards? It's my belief that Goldvein Pick is probably a slightly stronger card than Tormentor's Helm. And there was recently a kind of like deep dive posted on Twitter uh, by Circovist. I hope that's the name right, something along those lines, about how the data kind of points to this idea that you should think of Goldvein Pick largely as a white card, that it performs way better in white decks than out of white decks. And that makes sense in that white has a lot more evasion, especially early, and it's a lot easier to like get value out of the pick, uh, like especially going long. And I think that like that whole thing slightly overstated the case, but what the numbers showed is that when Goldvein Pick is played in white decks, it increases your win rate considerably, and when it's played out of white decks, it doesn't change your win rate much. It's not that it's bad, it's just whatever. And I think that the equipment is whatever, as far as like its overall strength. And I think that it is not particularly synergistic with the red and black cards. So it's like a normal card in a bad spot, which means that to me it's mostly like on the bad side. There are versions of the deck where I'm sure equipment is fine, but for the most part I think you should avoid it because I think that it's an average card in a bad spot for it. Uh, obviously, obviously I'm talking about the common equipment. The uncommon equipment is great. You you certainly want Dwarven Hammers and Draugr's Helms in your red and black deck. That's like they're exactly what you're looking for. They're high-impact cards that play well in small games, that are high-quality. Those cards are fantastic. Next question, I think, is trying to be on-topic, but skews a little off-topic, which is, if you first picked Kaya, what would I be looking for? And the answer is, I would be looking to play either 
uh, black, white, or black, white, green, or rather green, white, splash, black. You know, if I like am red, black, and end up with a Kaya late, I might try to put it in my deck. But what, I, what I'm looking for with Kaya is to be a white deck. Recommendations on splashing in red, black, or is it mono? So, in general, the more aggressive you are, the less you should splash. Most red, black looks somewhat aggressive, though obviously the more I play it, the more I'm thinking it's actually kind of mid-range. And I don't think it's that bad if you end up in a spot where you're playing some amount of Seize the Spoils, as long as, you know, it's fitting into your curve and you have some two drops and stuff so you're not falling behind while you cast it. And it can play well with, like, casting Cinderheart Giant, which is a totally solid card to play in red-black. And there's some amount of value, not very much, but a little bit, to getting some, like, Snow Duel Lands in your deck, like Frostbite, and while it's not often at home in red-black, Priest of the Haunted Edge are both, like, solid cards. So I, I do think that there are versions of red-black that can realistically splash. But you don't want to be doing it in, like, red-black aggro. And you want to be acknowledging that your deck is a little bit weird and that you're, like, drafting a, like, red-black control deck. And you can do it. Be careful with it. Next question. Will you groan when you find yourself in red-black? I welcome a challenge. I, I like drafting things I haven't drafted much, and I don't care very much about losing, so... No, I have, I have no problem if I end up in red-black. That would be a fun experience for me. What's good top-end for a black-red deck? Uh, if this is, is Cinderheart Giant playable, the answer is yes. It's fine to have a Cinderheart Giant at the top end of a red-black deck. It's also fine to have a Hoggy Mob at the top of a red-black deck. It's also fine to have a Carful Kennel Master at the top end of a red-black deck. It's better to have some good rares. Um, it's also better to have Dwarven Hammer and Draugr's Helm. Next question, do I really think red-black is a viable archetype, or do you want to avoid it if you can? I can think both of those things. I can think that there are probably ways to do it, but for the most part, I'm not looking to try, because I've, like, in a spot where I'm trying to win a draft. I'm not really looking to try, because I've failed fairly consistently when I've tried before. But I know that other people have had success. I know that it can win. I know there are good versions. I just, you're using some, like... The pool of cards that you're working from is a little bit weak. This next question is, the format seems dominated by snow and aggro. How often do you not, uh, navigate to these tier 2 and 3 archetypes? How often do I do it is kind of a weird question, because I go out of my way to do it. And so the answer is reasonably often, and with like an acceptable degree of success. Uh, next question is, would I count Vicious Return plus 7-6 Giant as a package to watch for? Yeah, I would. I think that that would be worth mentioning. I, I kind of talked about it in Reanimator, so I didn't like make as much of a point as I should have about pairing those two exact cards together. But those cards are both, like, okay. I mean, I think this. I think Cinderheart Giant is, like, generally better than Carter's Vicious Return. But I think that, like, if you have Cinderheart Giant and, like, very few other synergies, then the Carter's Vicious Return becomes good enough to use. And I, I do think that, like, they become meaningfully better together in a way that's, like, worth doing. Which two drops do you consider to be best for a red-black? Similarly to red-white, I think that the answer is basically the uncommon and rare two drops are better than the common two drops in most cases. Um, I think the best common two drop is Axe Guard Cavalry. The next question is, what does it take to make Dusk Wielder work effectively? Does it need a certain density of support? I wish I knew. It's clear from the stats that Dusk Wielder actually doesn't have a horrible win rate. It's not great, but it's not horrible. And I have lost to Duskwielder. When I've tried playing it, I've definitely gone too far, 
I don't know if it would be okay if I just like played a couple of them in a deck with a smooth curve rather than like playing a lot of them in hyper aggro decks. But I, I still haven't solved the Dusk Wielder problem. I don't I don't know if it's like okay, but only in elves specifically. I don't know if it's like okay, but only with Berserker rares or something. Uh, there's there's something going on, and I haven't quite figured it out yet. Next question: Do you think Black Red is often the beatdown versus other archetypes, or does it need to take a more controlling position versus the other aggressive decks? Yeah. So, I mean. Like I said, I've mostly drafted Black Red as somewhat unsuccessful as a somewhat unsuccessful aggressive deck, but I think that it's better to draft it as a mid range deck and to like value and prioritize cards like Frostbite, and so in that like kind of positioning means that there will be times when you're playing against more aggressive decks where you end up taking a controlling role, but the creatures that you want to play are creatures that attack. Like, they have boast, they have high power and low toughness. You're not looking to, like, try to turtle up with your creatures that are all trading down on mana or whatever. So, there, you wanted, like, you end up playing control in that you kill some of their early creatures, but you're, uh, you're, like, a big proactive. Um, you're trying to turn the corner quickly. You're not trying to, like, turtle up. And so it, that's kind of, like, fundamentally different than most control decks, even if it can, like, arguably put you in a controlling position. It's really more of an attrition position. Next question. So the game plan for Black Red is to trade, make the game small by playing two and three drops in removal until you increment value over time. Is that correct? Broadly, yes. Obviously, like... It can be a little bit tricky to figure out how to increment value over time because you don't have like behold the multiverse and stuff like that but uh you're mostly trying to do it either with the scary firewalker or just playing bigger stuff than your opponent or raider's carve raider's carve uh i i talk about a lot and i probably should have mentioned it specifically here in a deck where i'm looking to play a bunch of like mid-range three and four drops many of which are three twos and three ones Raider's Carve is a great way to, like, get card advantage, draw more spells, um, you know, turn, like, turn the aggressive corner. Uh, Ra Raider's Carve is a fantastic fit in red-black, uh, as long as you're not prioritizing one and two drops and are prioritizing uh, the three and four drops, all of which naturally create smoothly. The next question is about Demonic Gifts, and this was saying that I have been observed using the card to good effect and asking if it's better than it gets credit for. I think that it is not really better than it gets credit for. I think it has. I think its best applications are in elves. Elves have a lot of good enters the battlefield effects, and they're looking to play pretty aggressively. And I think it's pretty good there. I don't think that it is a good card to play in black red. Next question is: Do you like the foretell death touch flyer in your decks? No, I don't. I don't think that card's very good. It's fine. I think it's about on par with Augury Raven, which is another card that I don't like very much. This next question is, where do you find synergy between the aggressive aspects and discard? So there fundamentally isn't synergy between aggression and discard. And Skull Raid? Skull Raid has pretty bad stats. I don't think it's a very good card. I generally don't try to play it. So the discard that we're talking about is mostly Elder Fang Disciple, which was the precise topic of the article that I've mentioned that I wrote for Star City today, the day of this recording. And 
it's not an aggressive card. It is a card that can have, I mean, does have synergies with the black-red plan in that the black-red plan is attrition and depleting your opponent's resources, and Elder Fang Disciple does that, but not in a particularly great way, and it leaves a low-impact body that most of the time you're not very well positioned to use. That said, if you're pairing it with Rune of Mortality or Jarl, so that it can trade up, or if you're playing it with Carter's Vicious Return so that you can take advantage of the first chapter of that saga, or if you're like doing other stuff to like get meaningful value out of it, if for some reason you have like other elves and clerics, most likely Comus Faithfuls, or if you've somehow found a way to get enough Snowlands in your deck to play Priest of the Haunted Edge, it can start to make some amount of sense in this deck just as like part of an attrition deck. But when you are playing an aggressive red-black deck, which some portion of red-black decks certainly are, it's not a good fit. Uh, it, another, another package that it works well with is, obviously it works well with the Shackles of Treachery Village Rights version of the deck, because it gives you, like, the, the one-owned body is a good way to use your village rights when you don't have shackles. But it, it's... Elder Fang Disciple is not a card that all red-black decks, specifically aggressive decks that aren't playing things that make them sacrifice creatures, those decks uh, largely do not want to play Elder Fang Disciple. Next question, do you think the red-black rares lead you to more mid-rangey or decks or aggro ones? So, obviously it depends on the rares. Um, like, the Blood Sky Massacre and Skemfar Avenger and um, Arnie Brokenbrow and Turgrid, God of Fright, are all cards that are going to make it more likely that I'm going to want to play an aggressive deck. Uh, Quakebringer is another one. Whereas Valky, God of Lies, Immerstrom Predator, Burning Rune Demon, Eradicator Valkyrie, uh, to some extent Varagoth, the Blood Sky Sire, uh, these like high-impact cards that can win long games, are more likely to make me play mid-range decks. So I, I think that black and red have a good mix of rares that push in each of those directions. Next question is, how high do you pick squash in black-red? That's a good question, because squash is a strong card, but black-red is very bad at having giants, especially cheap giants. I would say that I try to avoid uh, squash in black-red. I would much rather have Frostbite, Demon Bolt, and Feed the Serpent. But if I'm really struggling for removal, I think it's okay to play one or two. But for the most part, it's not what you, it's not your go-to removal spell, certainly. Next question is, how do I feel about Renamok in Black-Red? I'd rather have a, a removal spell. I've talked about how, like, in Red-White Aggro, I would usually rather have Renamok, or have Renamok, Renamok than a removal spell. In Black-Red, I would rather have a removal spell. Because my creatures... The better way to put it is because I don't want to lean too much on cheap creatures, I'm not always going to be the aggressor. And run amok is really bad if you're ever defensive. And if I am trying to play a bunch of cheap creatures, I think that I would actually rather play equipment than run amok. And this gets back to the um, discussion uh, that I had when I was talking about red-white, about when to value equipment versus when to value pump spells. And... Pump spells are better when you're trying to attack with a lot of creatures at the same time, so that you can 
uh, attack with all of them and then pump whichever one they block. Whereas equipment is better when you're only attacking with one creature at a time. Um, because then you're not like leaving a bunch of other stuff on the sidelines that can't attack because they're not equipped or whatever. And so the fact that red-black is trying to play a small game makes equipment better than pump spells, relatively speaking. And so, like, between the fact that I want, like, equipment more than pump spells and removal more than equipment, Runamuck ends up being, like, a low priority. There are some versions of, like, Berserker Aggro where it's felt like Runamuck would be a good card in my deck, but I think that's, like, good card in a bad deck, not the right way to approach the archetype kind of situation. Next question is, is Arnie really that much better than Breakneck Berserker? And then some nonsense that I don't really understand about card grades. Um... And the answer is yes, it has an extra toughness and an extra ability and no downside whatsoever. It doesn't let the magic cards kind of exist on like a reasonably similar power bandwidth. It doesn't take that much like straight up extra abilities at no cost to make a card a lot better than another card. Um, you can look up the win rates for Arnie versus Breakneck Berserker on 17 lands. It's a lot better. Next question is, do you view village rights as almost always a controlling card, or can it be part of an aggressive plan to dispose of useless bodies and pump blood sky berserkers? I certainly do not view it as a controlling card. I think control decks generally have like better ways to get card advantage and aren't super likely to have random useless bodies around. I think of it more as like a combo card, like it's a card that you want when it, you have particularly good synergies with it. Yeah, it's good if you have Shackles of Treachery and Elderfang Disciple, um, and you're looking to like get two spell triggers and stuff off, um, and bad when it's used just out of context. Like, you don't just play it in a deck with like generic creatures. Next is a good question: Is Dwarven Reinforcements a good card here with no Blood Sky? I think Dwarven Reinforcements is actually pretty good. I think. Its numbers are kind of surprisingly impressive, and once I realize that I don't like the two drops in red-black very much, I think it's a pretty good way to spend your mana on turn two, and I think it plays pretty well in an attrition kind of context, and, like, it crews a raider's carve, and it's a way to, like, trade off with your opponent's two drops that your other things would trade down with, and it also plays well with, like, anything that is counting your berserkers, which could be stuff like Basalt Ravager, or uh, could be Doomscar Titan, or could be uh, Skimfar Avenger, like, whatever. Um, it can also help support your village rights if you're trying to do that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think generically speaking, also obviously it's fantastic with Magda. So, like, there are a bunch of cards that specifically make it good, and I think generally it's a reasonably powerful card in the archetype. Next question is about Carter Doom Scourge and whether it fits better in Red Black or as a splash elsewhere. Carter is a powerful card and it plays reasonably well in Red Black Aggro and I think that it is something that should be drafted like fairly highly if you're going to be able to put it in your deck. But I do actually think that it plays better as a splash in a green deck than it does in Red Black. And the reason is pretty simple. Uh, Carter is better on a larger battlefield, and as I talked about, red-black is all about making a game small, which makes Carter worse. And Carter wants large battlefields generically, but especially large battlefields where you have larger creatures than your opponent. And so I, I actually played it in like a green-red splash-black deck, 
where it just like single-handedly won half of my games. Um, forcing my opponent to attack into my ravenous lindworms and stuff was amazing. Um, it was a it was a like green deck that was very low on removal, and so I was kind of always set up for it where there were just huge battlefields, and it won a whole bunch of games that like very few other things would win. So Carter is strong, really happy to play it in red black. But no, it's not at its best in red-black. It's actually best as a green card. All right. Uh, thank you, everyone, for all the questions. That is going to wrap up this episode. I hope that I've come to reasonable conclusions about red and black. I do need to caution anyone that I have mostly been unsuccessful with red and black. Um, my suggestions are largely guesses based on what has worked against me and what has not worked for me. But certainly, when someone loses with something a lot, you shouldn't necessarily trust them to be an expert on it. So, um, you know, take the theory that I've said, apply what makes sense to you, and um, if you've had your own experiences that disagree with any of that, by all means, trust your experiences. But... um, Regardless of whether any of it is specifically right for uh, this red-black deck in this format, I think a lot of it about just like how to think about red-black in limited in general is like informative and provides some useful context for really drafting any kind of red-black deck in any format. So I hope I'm right about the details, but if not, I, I think there's a lot of valuable big picture stuff to learn here. And... That will do it for this week. I have the um, fortune of being able to tell you that next week I will be discussing blue-red as uh, the patrons have no say in the matter. That's, that's the topic that's left to discuss. So hopefully everyone will join me for that. And thank you again and goodbye. <laughs>